0: Hello and welcome to Verwappenblog Radio. My name is Andrew Tui. I have been the proprietor of Verwappenblog.com since 2008 or 2009 or something like that. Uh, With me today is my friend Brett. He he and I met probably, I don't know, three or four years ago, something like that. Uh, He was a student in one of the first firearm classes I taught along with some other people And he came to a few other classes, Uh, we hit it off, we're pretty good friends, and I think we have a lot in common in terms of firearm knowledge, uh, experience, opinions, and so on. But also, he he and I disagree on a lot of things, and he always has good reasons for disagreeing with me. So I figured if he and I had some good conversations about guns, maybe other people would want to listen. Brett, introduce yourself, please, in 19 words or less, because Glock 19. All right, I am Brett.
1: I have been working at a gun store for uh, a few years now, and I would say that AR-15s are kind of my thing.
0: Why are AR-15s kind of your thing?
1: I think they're versatile, um, reliable, accurate. Um, I love how many different configurations you can have in the weapon platform. Uh, close range, long range, lightweight, accurate. I think that they're a great all-around gun.
0: 300 blackout or 6.8?
1: I'm gonna to have to go with 300 Blackout. I like suppressors and 300 Blackout is a lot
0: better for that. Okay, that's a good reason. So let's start out with some news. I think the top news item right now in the firearm world is that the State Department has announced a plan to expand ITAR to cover speech on the Internet. Now This is a big deal because ITAR, or International Traffic and Arms regulations, cover the sale of, let's say, a rifle or even a rifle scope to any foreign person. So for example, if you want to sell an ACOG, you could sell it to someone from Colorado, if you lived in Utah, or Florida, if you lived in California, but you could not sell it to someone in British Columbia, a Canadian citizen, if you lived in Washington State. That's an actual part though, that's a rifle scope or a trigger or a full complete firearm that you would transfer to someone else. These new rules, as the NRA, ILA has stated in uh, emails to people and in their statements, they claim that this would expand to cover pretty much any speech relating to firearms and that you would have to get permission from the State Department to publish anything on the internet, which would amount to prior restraint of, of essentially free speech. That is alarming on its face, but is it true? Now, one of the first sources I go to for firearm news and Brett may disagree with me on this source, but I like the firearm blog. Uh, Steve, who runs TFB, is a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for many years. I think he's a really good guy. And he's generally pretty even keeled. So if he's not freaked out about something, then I'm also not freaked out about it. If he is freaked out about something, I generally don't get freaked out about anything, but I might take a look at it. Now, he wrote an article saying, is this the end of TFB? that is a fairly interesting headline and in his article he says this could spell the end of tfb uh, reduce the type of content gun magazines would publish prevent the publications of books on gunsmithing no manufacturer would, would be willing to talk to us or any other publication about how their products are made he says that this would control for example the barrel length barrel rifling and the type of polymer used because that would be considered technical data Uh, the color and the fact that it's made of polymer are not technical data according to him and he says that tutorials and making your own guns would definitely be banned so my concern is should I be very worried about this as I found in the actual changes not necessarily the Federal Register description of the changes but the changes proposed by the State Department they are including all sorts of additional things relating to development so anything that would help make a better gun would be covered by this, not necessarily the description of an existing firearm, but a way to make an existing firearm better or an existing firearm part better. And that relates to a lot of the work that I have done. In fact, that's essentially my core mission for this entire blog. So this is concerning to me, uh, and it's something I don't like. I don't think it's a reason for the NRA to have made it as bad as it sounds. The average gun forum is not going to have a monitor, I don't think, but a State Department monitor going along and saying, oh, you can post this, you can't post that. But I can definitely see them using this to clamp down on some things if they wanted to. That may not be their purpose. There may be other reasons why they're doing this. There's other things hidden in here that have nothing to do with, with small firearms uh, that may be their real reason for these changes. I noticed several references to the Russian Federation and uh, cryptographic information, and I would guess that the State Department cares a lot more about information going to Russia right now than they do about Verwappen blog. I think I'm probably on the not even on their radar, but again, theoretically, this could be used against me and against other blogs that do technical things or describe better ways to make firearms. So this is concerning to me at a certain level.
1: Uh, how do you think that this will affect um, what's already out on the internet? Uh, say. A YouTube video that's already on there about how to machine out an AR fifteen lower.
0: I guess I don't see how they could use this uh, against that. I mean, you're th- that's already out in the world, and so it, it could be it could be said that that's it's already been downloaded or copied or it's our existing knowledge. So theoretically, if you made another video about making an AR lower, uh, maybe that would be not okay because it's after this date. Something silly like the. Uh, the 86 machine gun ban, where you can have a machine gun made at 11.59 p.m., but not one made at 12.01 p.m. But I I guess I don't see them going after existing videos. That would be a a pretty big project. But the government is capable of a lot of strange things that the rest of us wouldn't understand, so maybe they could. So what needs to be done to keep this from happening? You can email. uh, The email address is ddtcpubliccomments.com at state.gov, Delta Delta Tango Charlie, public comments, comments with an S at the end, at state.gov, with the subject line ITAR amendment, revisions to definitions, data transmission, and storage. That is how you can contact them directly. Uh, Theoretically, you could also contact your congressman. Uh, I think the best way to do this would would be to contact the State Department directly, and you can do that until August 3rd of 2015.
1: Well, we know how important it is to contact your local representatives uh, for matters like these.
0: You're right. I mean, that's been really instrumental in, in preventing a lot of uh, rule changes in the last year or so. There was a whole M855 fiasco that, uh, that was avoided because of public outcry. Exactly. And that was pretty ridiculous, but it was definitely nipped in the bud due to all the comments that were sent in. So this can also be stopped before it becomes a problem. And I think it's, it's important that we realize that it may not be as bad as it sounds or as bad as some people are making it sound, but it definitely has some very bad aspects. So our next segment will be answering emails that people have sent me over time. And I'm really, really bad at answering emails. I feel so bad about this. Sometimes, about every six months, I will realize that I haven't responded to any emails that anyone has sent me. And I will sit down and write 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 emails. But I haven't done that in quite a while. And I think it would be good if we could cover some of these, because a lot of these questions are really, really good. And other people might be interested in the answers. All right. So this first email
1: is from Andrew. I'm assuming that is not from you.
0: I actually just sent myself a bunch of emails because I wanted to have these questions answered.
1: All right. So Andrew, six weeks ago, asks... I know you work the expletive out of BCGs, and I was wondering if you had considered doing a side by side of coded BCGs. I would suggest choosing one brand most representative of each coating, such as Spikes, Phil Zero, AAC for nickel boron, Robar for NP3, Cryptec, and Prototactical. Cryptec, I'm not familiar with that or what Prototactical does. Are you familiar with those, Andrew?
0: I thought Cryptek made a camo pattern that uh, girls who hunted deer on Instagram wore. And Proto Tactical, they're here in Tucson. Uh, They're nice people. I've I've met them. I've toured their facility. I didn't know that they did coatings or platings, but I I know that they make parts for AR manufacturers and they also make their own firearms. So it wouldn't surprise me if they'd expanded or maybe I just didn't see their entire operation. Um, one one thing I noticed here is he mentions nickel boron and nickel PTFE, which is NP3. Um, both of those are are nickel derivatives, obviously. Uh, Cryptek, uh I just looked that up, and it looks like they do PVD coatings. They have some really neat-looking ones, which I want to talk about. Prototactical, I'm going to have to look them up, too. I, I, again, I'm not familiar with what they do, but I think he's missing out on hard chrome, which is probably my favorite aftermarket finish. I, I don't... You know, you say aftermarket, it makes it sound like it's a modification. A lot of the original ARs uh, had, or M16s had uh, full hard chrome bolt carriers. They're very easy to clean, and that's why I like them, because I'm lazy. Well, fortunately, with ARs, you can be pretty lazy about cleaning them. That's probably why I like ARs so much, is you can really push them far beyond what most people think. And when they start getting just
1: a little sluggish, spray some CLP down in there, and you're good to go for another few thousand rounds that is
0: correct and so i've pulled up these cryptic coatings again these are really neat looking my favorite is probably mystic bronze it looks essentially like copper and i think copper is awesome as a metal i think it's very underappreciated and so i would buy this mystic bronze bolt carrier just for the way it looks however i noticed that the max temperature on their their website is 750 degrees and i'm concerned by that, although they say the max temperature for nickel boron is 600 to 700. I have fired ARs that have gotten well above that temperature, at least parts of the barrel, maybe not necessarily the bolt, but I would want something with a a higher max temperature range. And I would also want to know what this does at 750 degrees. Does it start to flake off? Does it seize up? Uh, And so on. And to me, manganese phosphate is actually a really good uh, finish for a bolt carrier you'll have the hard chrome on the inside which is what you need and then maybe it's not as easy to clean as hard chrome but it's going to be pretty affordable and durable overall
1: I have always preferred the phosphate coated bolt carriers I've never had an issue whatsoever with them and never seen a reason to try out any other type of coating for a uh, for a carrier
0: you know the 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 bolt carriers that we had in those rifles we used for the Bushmaster uh, 40,000 round test those were all just stock manganese phosphate, AR-15 bolt carriers, nothing special about them at all. And they did fine. The one with, uh, with federal ammunition, 10,000 rounds, very little cleaning, very little lubrication, no problems. So some of the marketing aspects of these aftermarket bolt carriers, I don't think they hold up as well.
1: But I think one of the main reasons for looking into a, a different coating for a bolt carrier is uh, that it looks quite a bit better than just a black phosphate.
0: Well, and that's something that we have to think about with ARs is that a lot of people that buy ARs, they're spending money, maybe not necessarily because they're going to get that amount of return on their investment, but because they want to stand out from the crowd. And some of these bolt carriers definitely would stand out. I mean they look awesome. I, I can't I can't lie. I, I would like to have a copper bolt carrier just because I live in Arizona and we're all about copper here. It looks like they also have one that uh almost looks like it's a gold plated bolt carrier. That is what I would expect to see. On the uh, well-appointed drug dealers AR-15.
1: All right so Andrew is wondering if we can test these and see what kind of differences there are in performance between the different coatings for the bolt carriers.
0: Well we definitely could anything is possible with the right amount of money and or sponsorship and the biggest problem with that would be to do a meaningful test of this I would need Thousands and thousands of rounds firing 500 rounds or a thousand rounds per bolt carrier is simply not acceptable as a test. I could do some high-speed video and show changes in cyclic rate if one is, for example, better at lubricating than the other, if some surface is uh, slicker, has a a better coefficient of friction, for example, but I just don't think that I could do this at this time uh, properly. Now, if someone wants to sponsor me for that, I'll be happy to put together uh, a very nice test uh, properly done with all sorts of data on the performance. But right now that's sort of, it's not something I could do as a test. It's something I could pick up and maybe try out over time to see how it works. But doing a controlled test is sort of prohibitively expensive.
1: It might be somewhat easy to test how each of the carriers clean up, um, how dirty they get, what they look like after a few hundred rounds. But, Testing longevity and how well that finish is going to hold up, af- you know, after several tens of thousands of rounds is nearly impossible.
0: That's true, and you know, another concern I, I just thought of with these coatings is this makes me remember the first time nickel boron bolt carriers hit the market, and I noticed that they state on their website here this cryptic coatings. They state that their thickness for nickel boron is between one third to one half of a ten thousandth. No, excuse me, one third to one half of a thousandth of an inch. And that's pretty thin. The time to plate that is about 20 to 30 minutes, maybe. And that's not going to give you a whole lot of corrosion resistance, which I think is interesting that they note that manganese phosphate here is corrosion resistant, but they don't mention that as a characteristic for their nickel boron. Nickel boron's corrosion resistance is basically directly proportional to the thickness of the coating. But the problem you have with making a bolt carrier is that it's already made to very specific dimensions and those dimensions can be changed if you add a very thick coating especially some of the small holes and that's also uh, relative to 1911's or other handguns that have very precise measurements that you can really screw things up with a coating that's too thick. Again I'm I'm reminded of sometimes when you have a new product or new coating or plating or process that hits the market and people understand how to make the product and they understand how to do the coating but they don't understand how the two go together. And that could be a nickel boron bolt carrier, or that could be the the nitrided barrels that came out. And An AR-15 barrel is manufactured by turning the barrel, uh, threading the breech end for the the barrel extension, you torque on the barrel extension to a certain amount, and then you drill the gas port. And the gas port location is, is related to where the barrel extension is. Now, if you take that barrel and nitride it, the entire thing because the barrel extension is 8620 tool steel and the barrel itself could be stainless, it could be 4150. They're going to react differently to the process and that barrel extension will loosen up and basically unscrew from the barrel. You'll have a useless barrel at that point. And the first ones that came out, people would put them on their rifle, they'd go shoot it and a 100 rounds later they'd be getting pie plate size groups at 25 yards. And it was because the people that made the barrels, like I said, they understood how to make a barrel, they understood the process of melanite, but they did not understand how the two went together. And so for some of these new coatings or new companies, I would want to make sure that their product was made properly, not only in terms of the process, but how the process relates to that part.
1: Cryptic also claims smoother recoil and a faster cyclic rate with their uh, their coated bolt carriers. Uh, That concerns me a little bit because generally those are mutually exclusive. And a faster cyclic rate is not always a good thing as far as reliability goes from what I've seen.
0: That's definitely true, and it would make sense that if your firearm, generally as I have observed it and measured it using scientific instruments, with all else being the same, that is the same weight, the same mass for the reciprocating assembly, if you increase its speed, you're going to have more recoil and you're going to have difficulty with follow-up shots. So if this truly does increase the firing rate appreciably, That's not necessarily an advantage. That would be a disadvantage. Alright, moving on to the next email. This one is also from Andrew
1: and this was sent only three days ago so we're getting back to this one pretty quick.
0: Yeah, I'm shocked that we're responding to this email so quickly. It's essentially instant. Alright, so this Andrew is wondering, I'm currently in the market for a 556 silencer
1: and one of the things I'm considering is flash performance. I've contacted Griffin Armament, Sig Sauer, silencer co and surefire in regards to their comments on flash performance from their respective cans but i figure i'd ask if you had any if you had tested any silencers for flash or if you could comment on the subject matter otherwise thanks a bunch and your opinion is very much appreciated
0: well that was a very nice letter uh, i appreciate it when people say they appreciate my opinion but apparently i don't appreciate them enough to respond to them in a timely manner
1: so except for this one of course three days is is pretty timely i would say
0: yeah, three days isn't bad. I mean, that's acceptable. It would not be acceptable if I was running a company, but as a blogger, it's it's pretty good. So I would say, to answer his question right off the bat, I have never done a comparison test of various silencers and Flash. So I can't give him hard data, but I could just give him some general opinions. Um, number one I'm more concerned if I had a silencer, I see that as roughly a thousand dollar item that I want to extend the longevity of because I can't just go out and get a different one in a day. If I have a problem with it, and it needs to be repaired, it may be damaged irreparably. So I, I can see that as an investment that needs to be protected. Or I would be without it for several weeks or several months even. So to me, I'm more concerned about protecting the can and my understanding of the best way to do that is to use a muzzle brake as a protective blast baffle. In other words, the first baffles of that muzzle brake will take the most harsh flame cuts from the, the muzzle uh, blast, if you will, and that will protect the can itself. Whereas a flash hider has no baffles and it will allow the can to take that first hit. And that's pretty detrimental. If you look at a muzzle brake that's been fired on a... If if you go to a shooting range that rents out ARs and you look at if they have a muzzle brake, you can see that the very first baffle or the first uh, horizontal cross-bore flat part of that muzzle device will have a lot of wear. And the second one will have some wear and the third one might have a little less wear. And that's what you're trying to avoid on your silencer because once those baffles are gone, they either need to be replaced or the can is not very effective.
1: And I found that when uh, considering flash that's coming out at the end of the suppressor, uh, there's three main things to really look at uh, for the setup that you're gonna be using. Uh, the first is the barrel length you're, of the rifle you're gonna be using it on. Uh, a short barrel can really throw a pretty serious fireball, especially in fairly dark environments. It's impressive uh, what kind of fireball you can get out of some of those cans. Uh, the second thing uh, to really look at is the suppressor length. Some of the, uh, like the Saker K or uh, some of those Surefire mini cans really won't do a good job or, of suppressing the flash at all. And what would the third aspect be? The third and the last one is, I think it's overlooked pretty often, is the type of ammo you're using. Generally, something that's designed for military use has a flash suppressant of some sort in there. Um, that will help quite a bit whereas just off-the-shelf commercial ammo might not have any.
0: I think you're definitely right, and that is something that people overlook a lot of the time. So my question for Andrew would be, what barrel length do you have? What kind of can do you have? Do you really need to limit flash, or are you just trying to get rid of fireballs, that sort of thing? And so it's up to him. If he really wants to cut down on flash, then probably a good... uh, mount that was a good flash hider such as the blackout or the silencer co trifecta would help but if he wants to extend the length of his can that's not the best choice
1: all right so our next email is from daniel who is curiously not named andrew and he sent this email in october it is now june the important thing is that we're getting back to him that is important all right daniel is wondering. I had read an article in Verwappen blog about the battle rifle company booth at the NRA show and just finished reading your new article on the firearm blog, testing their BR four. It was nice to see that you really gave the battle rifle company the benefit to make good on their improvements and give them help on how to improve going forward. I'll be keeping my eye on this to see if any more improvements are made or rifle tests are performed. It's always pleasing for the consumer to have more choice to keep the market competitive and improving on a side note. When you do the test, is there any way to get some of the spent brass for reloading? If I were to pay for the shipping, it would seem it would uh, it goes to waste if no one uses
0: it or recycles it. Okay, well, to answer the second question first, generally, the spent brass goes into buckets which remain in my garage in perpetuity and are never to be used again. But in this case, we were in Texas uh, at a range in Houston, and I think Battle Rifle Company took the brass to load an ammunition that they make and sell under their own brand name. They have several Dylan 1050s that they use for reloading. I would be concerned to shoot the ammo that they had made. You know, I made a joke a while back. I think, I, I think you were the only person I told this to, that uh, rifle, Battle Rifle Company was selling rifle grenades, and then I sent you the picture of the uh, 50 rounds of Battle Rifle Company ammunition, and I asked you if I'd have to pay a tax stamp for every round. I don't think you have to pay a tax if it explodes in your gun. Hmm, that's true. So to answer his more specific, I guess it wasn't really a question. It was just more of a comment about Battle Rifle Company. I was really hoping that their product would do better than it did. I, not that I was going to rewrite the results or something like that, but I wanted them to to have a real success story that I could report on. And part of it was almost like a personal thing for me. Like I would feel better about myself as a blogger if I had written something bad about a company and they truly took it to heart and improved their product. That would make me feel like I was accomplishing something instead of just saying mean things, which is not why I write. I want things to be better. So when they contacted me, more specifically when their PR company contacted me, I really wanted to be part of it. Uh, because I wanted them to do better. I wanted them to succeed. I don't want any company to go out of business uh, within you know, the, the limits of reality. If a company is truly evil, they should go out of business. But these people are not evil. I felt they were just misguided. When I went out there, I was, wasn't sure what to expect. Um, they were pretty nice to me. You know, We went to the range uh, the next day. They had two rifles. They let me pick between the two. They were both mid-lengths and for the first 700 rounds or so everything went pretty well as I recall I could be wrong I'm just thinking off the top of my head there were no problems that we were just chugging through ammunition as fast as we could and I was like well hey maybe things are different maybe their their product is improved and so on and then we had the problem with a charging handle I believe and I think the problem was that the charging handles were out of spec they were not machined properly and so as the bolt carrier was coming forward, the gas key was essentially crushing the forward part of the charging handle uh, and to the point where it cracked and broke off. And that happened twice, actually. I think they ended up having to go to a local gun store to buy some uh, BCM gunfighter charging handles, which we, we used one of those, and it, we had no problems after that. But then we started having problems relating to the rifles being overgassed. In other words, there was too much gas coming back for the weight of the reciprocating mass. And we were shooting 5.56 ammunition. When I did that 40,000 round test previously with the Bushmasters, the brass case ammo we used was Federal, I think it was American Eagle AE223, which is a 55 grain full metal jacket, but at 223 pressures, not 5.56 pressures. And the battle rifle company test used 5.56 Federal, which is generally pretty hot stuff. And so that compounded the error or the problem with the gas port that was too big and the rifle just started having all sorts of issues because over time not only is the rifle running too fast but parts are starting to break it's causing excessive wear at a very rapid pace and when the test was completed finally uh, it had not done very well we we finally swapped out some parts I think we took a stainless steel buffer from one of the AR-10s they had on hand and that stainless buffer probably weighed six or eight ounces I don't know exactly but it was very heavy and it did reduce Uh, the rate of fire and it allowed the rifle to go about 200 or 250 rounds between malfunctions for the last probably half or third of the test. I don't quite know, but it still was not a very good outing overall. And one of the things they mentioned to me was that they were initially going to use their carbine length rifles, but at the last minute they decided to build mid-lengths because they thought they would perform better.
1: Uh, And what do you think made them think that the mid-length would be uh, a better choice for that test?
0: Well, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of information out there, a lot of uh, comments about how people think just in general mid-lengths are better. And I think I prefer mid-lengths for a 16 inch barrel. So I can't say if they were making that choice based on a general opinion that they'd seen, or if they had just looked over things I had read and thought I would be happier with the test if it had a mid-length.
1: But they hadn't done any testing internally on the uh, their mid-length rifle before that test?
0: No, they just took, essentially, they took their their carbine rifle, and then a mid-length green mountain barrel and had them cryogenically treated and then used those in the test uh, without making sure that they worked properly. Although, I mean, even if they had taken it out the day before and fired 500 rounds through a third rifle, they wouldn't have known that at 700, the thing was going to fall apart. And so that's my problem with some of these reviews. If you see a YouTube review where someone goes out uh, and it looks impressive if some guy just takes ten magazines and does ten mag dumps, you know, one after another. The rifle functions fine, and you think, okay, that's a good rifle. I can go buy it. But you never know at three hundred and twenty rounds or three hundred and seventy-five or eight hundred and fifty, it's going to fall apart as that rifle did. So that was kind of disappointing to me. But I think this—the saddest part was that there, while the mid-length barrel came from Green Mountain and it had the the gas port that was about 10000th of an inch oversized. I actually called Green Mountain to verify that because I couldn't believe that they would make it so big, but they did. It wasn't necessarily Battle Rifle Company's fault it was so big. You could say it was their fault for not checking it or not having a process in place to verify what part should go on what rifle and what the gas port diameter should be and so on. But the decision to make it that big was made by Green Mountain and I think that was a, just a huge mistake. That that was it's just too big for a 5.56 gas port. The, why, why I say it's sad is that their carbine length barrels were made by a different manufacturer. I can't remember the name, but a different manufacturer. And their gas ports were 58 thousandths at 16 inch carbine length, which is just about perfect. So if they had used those barrels, chances are we would have had the same charging handle problems. But overall, the test would have gone much, much better.
1: Uh, I like Green Mountain barrels. I think they, they do a good job. I've never had any personal experience with their 16-inch mid-length, but I have a 10-inch AR that runs a uh, a Green Mountain barrel, and I have a 20-inch as well. And the 10-inch is very overgassed. Uh, I actually have serious problems shooting that with a suppressor, uh, but the 20 has been awesome for me.
0: Well, it, it's hard to mess up a 20-inch barrel. Uh, that's kind of the ideal AR configuration, and you know, if you can't get a 20-inch AR to run you're basically the worst person on the planet.
1: Well, I think for 175 bucks they do an okay job.
0: Yeah, and see that's my problem. I look at the the barrels and I'm like, "You know what? That seems so cheap. I could pick up a couple barrels, build another couple ARs because I know I have enough parts lying around. I just need some good barrels. I've shot out I have probably half a dozen shot out barrels lying around here. But then I think, "Well, you know if I'm going to spend 175 bucks, maybe I should spend 250" And I think, well, you know, the Centurion barrels on sale, I can get that for 300 bucks. Maybe I should spend that much. And then I think, well, uh, but I really want something more accurate so I could pick up one of those Krieger barrels. And then I decide that the whole project is going to be too expensive and I just forget about it and I never build anything.
1: Well, that'll help you save your money.
0: It really will. If we have more than 12 people listening at this point, they're probably wishing they were doing something else.
1: (laughs) That's probably true.
0: So you know what? If there's more than 12 people listening at this point, thank you for getting this far and or fast forwarding to the end. I really appreciate it. I think Brett appreciates it. I don't know. Brett, what do you think?
1: I do. We, we appreciate it. Thank you guys.
0: This has been fun for us. I really would like to keep this up if it has interest. So please let me know in the comments. Please let us know uh, if you have any suggestions for improvement. If you think that Brett should uh, take over because he's better than I am, just let us know. Brett, here are the keys to Verwapen blog. Have it home by 10 o'clock.
1: Thank you, Andrew.
0: And finally, a thank you to our sponsor, Boko Haram. Boko Haram, lean forward.